1: Star Trek The Next Generation is beloved by Trekkies all over the world, and with good reason. It gave us an incredible cast of characters led by the morally upright Captain Jean-Luc Picard, the iconic Data, and the charming William T. Riker. It contains a bevy of classic episodes, showcasing Star Trek principles and humanity at its finest, while expanding on an optimistic future that filled viewers with hope. It's thus easy to forget that throughout its seven-season run, there were a ton of clunkers, especially in those rough first two years. Now, with an older John luc Picard having returned to the past in Picard Season 2, let us also travel back to the rough early days of the USS Enterprise to see just how far we've come. These adventures were so bad that casual viewers puzzled over why Star Trek had such a following, while veteran fans wondered if Star Trek should have ended with the original series adventures of Captain James T. Kirk and Spock. And so, with that in mind then, I'm Ellie with Trek Culture, here with the 10 most hated Star Trek The Next Generation episodes. Number 10. Manhunt while undergoing a Betazoid phase that quadruples her sex drive, Waxana Troy comes aboard the Enterprise and sets her sights on Captain Picard. Aiming to be a light, comedic episode, Manhunt has some promising setups, like John Luke inviting Data to be a third wheel during his dinner with Luoxana, but stretches the jokes and scenes to embarrassing lengths until all the humour has been drained away. For example, it's initially amusing to see Data drone on about various scientific theories, but it soon begins to feel like being trapped with a jokey uncle who won't stop bombarding you with puns. It's also tough to be entertained at Picard's clear discomfort at Miss Troy's advances, making us wish the awkwardness would just end. This leads to a second half set mostly on the holodeck where Picard decides to have some fun in a detective simulation while hiding from the Oksana. It begins nicely with a fun bit about the scene being too violent for Picard when a gangster pulls a machine gun, prompting the captain to reset the program to a milder setting. Yet this gag, including the entire setup with the secretary telling John Luke he has a client, gets redone three whole times. It's like watching the opening minute of a wrestling match on a loop. Adding a simple mystery for Picard to solve could have given Patrick Stewart some fun material to play with and made this entire sequence more entertaining. Instead, the entire holodeck sequence feels like a desperate attempt to pad out the running time. Manhunt might have worked as a half-hour comedy, but there just isn't enough here for a whole hour, ultimately making it a giant piece of filler. Number nine, Cupid. If you dreamed of seeing Captain Jean-Luc Picard brandishing a sword as Robin Hood, then this is the episode for you. The Enterprise is hosting an archaeological summit, and one of the delegates is Varsh, an old flame of Picard, previously seen in Captain's Holiday, who is looking to rekindle that spark when Q arrives and transports them all to a fantasy version of Sherwood Forest. The first problem with Cupid is that Varsh is an unlikable guest star coming off as self-centred and selfish. Upon arriving at the Enterprise, she is immediately taken aback by the fact that no one has ever heard of her. She gets annoyed at Picard for not telling anyone about their history, which is a foolish expectation, since there is no reason for the captain of the ship to share such personal details with the crew. The second and bigger issue is that the Nottingham parts are devoid of laughs. The crew plays various recognisable supporting characters, as Data, for instance, is Friar Tuck, but are given nothing to do but smirk in the background. In fact, the entire setting gets squandered with unimaginative plotting that simply has Picard sneak into the castle to save Varsh, and wrote action scenes which feel like a poor man's version of the Princess Bride. Worf, the warrior of the group, swings his sword in such a clunky manner you worry he might hurt himself, while Picard as Robin Hood doesn't even get to shoot an arrow. It's just all so lazily executed that Cupid ends up straying far wide of its target. Number 8. Angel One Riker attempts to negotiate the release of Federation prisoners who crashed on Angel One, an oppressive, matriarchal society. A big issue is that we never get to see the type of oppression the males in this planet suffer because none of them are given any substantial roles. They are just butlers in the background who don't seem to be complaining and who even look content making it hard to understand and sympathise with this race. Meanwhile, the Federation survivors, led by Ramsay, have been sentenced to death for supposedly contaminating the local culture with their ideas about equality, but we never see this either. Ramsay is called a revolutionary, but there is no moment where he is influencing others or spreading his message making him a boring character who seems to only want to stay because he found himself a wife. The main moralising comes from William Riker, who lectures Beata, the government head, with basic lessons about equal treatment and sharing responsibility that we've heard hundreds of times before. Simply switching the genders doesn't automatically make the lessons fresh. Riker also gets physically intimate with Beata, making us wonder if it's ethically okay for him to sleep with beautiful heads of state during diplomatic missions. Finally, there is a virus outbreak in the Enterprise that shuts down most of the crew. It's mostly played for laughs, with Captain John luc Picard itching and laying sick in bed, and Worf sneezing his guts out, which is not exactly the kind of riveting TV we want to see. That, combined with the rote storyline on the surface, ensure that there is nothing angelic about the stay in Angel 1. Number 7, Aquiel. When the Enterprise finds an isolated relay station missing its two staff members, the ensuing investigation leads them to consider the possibility of murder. The episode is built on the emotional connection between Geordie and Lieutenant Aquiel, but there is no spark to be found between the two. Geordie first develops feelings while watching the presumed dead officer's personal logs in moments that are framed as sweet but which instead look like an unhealthy obsession. Later, Aquiel is discovered alive in a nearby shuttle, thus becoming the murder suspect, and the smitten Geordie becomes determined to prove her innocence. They become closer for real but lack chemistry, with Navar Burton acting more like an over-eager schoolboy desperate to please his crush. In addition, he is obviously too emotionally attached to the case to be objective, making it even harder to invest in their relationship and whether she's really the killer. What really sinks the episode, though, is the wholly unsatisfying final reveal. It's shown that the true culprit is an alien that takes on the appearance of the victim it absorbs, and after it murdered the crew, it took the form of Aquiel's dog. That's right, the dog did it! Worse, the shapeshifter just shows itself to Geordie in its quarters for no apparent reason, other than the episode is almost over. Geordie doesn't solve the mystery or discover any key clue, the answer simply materialises in front of him, ending the story in an unearned, lifeless manner. Aquiel does seem like a nice girl, though, and hopefully fares better in her next assignment. Number 6. The Royale After encountering debris from a 21st-century Earthship orbiting an uninhabitable planet, Riker, Data, and Worf beam down to an anomalous area and discover an alien approximation of a 20th-century casino hotel. It turns out an astronaut survived the mishap ages ago, and aliens built him this simulation based on a trashy novel he owned. There is a poignant idea here about how a supposed act of penance turned into a form of torture for the survivor who was forced to witness the novel on a loop for the rest of his life, but it's brushed over too quickly for it to have any emotional resonance. The majority of the runtime is spent with Riker and the away team witnessing the novel with its cliché gangster archetypes, like Mickey D, who longs for his dame Rita and laughable dialogue like, no woman's worth dying for, killing for, not dying for. The characters constantly comment on how hackneyed and terrible the story and scripts are, but the criticisms lack the needed wit to be entertaining. Simply saying that what we are watching is bad doesn't make it good or any less wearisome to watch. There is also a distinct lack of desperation or even frustration at their plight as Riker and the away team just casually explore, resulting in zero suspense. They are unable to leave, beam out or communicate with the Enterprise, but don't seem the least bit worried. Riker eventually figures out that the way to escape is to play a role in the novel's plot and buy the casino in order for the story to reach its conclusion, leading to a climactic game of cards that doesn't exactly fire up the screen with excitement. With a distinct lack of wonder and intrigue, the Royale proves to be a world which we too can't wait to escape.
2: If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers.
1: They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zeppound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash Number 5. Cost of living On the eve of her wedding, Waxana Troy comes aboard the Enterprise and interferes with Deanna and Worf's attempts to teach his brat son Alexander discipline. Pairing two of the next generation's most annoying recurring guests, Luoxana and Alexander, and having them explore one of the show's worst holodeck programs, a kind of intergalactic circus, is a recipe for catastrophe. Luoxana acts like a crazy aunt, encouraging Alexander to disobey authority and just have fun, even exposing him to striptease-like dancers. while Alexander is rude and whiny, making us want to slap him. They are intentionally irritating, but with no likeable characters to provide a balance, they become a burden to watch. Meanwhile, poor Worf is thoroughly disrespected with the episode, making a mockery of his attempts to teach his son boundaries. He is constantly undermined by Lwaxana, who makes light of his lessons, encouraging the young boy not to take his father seriously, all culminating in a mud bath that scrapes away Worf's last ounce of dignity. The main drama is whether free-spirit Lwaxana will settle for her stiff fiancé or stay single and liberated. That she agreed to marry him in the first place feels out of character. She does realize their marriage is doomed from the start, but instead of communicating this to him, she makes a spectacle of herself, sabotaging the wedding by marching naked to the altar. The music and bemused look of the crew frame it like some heroic moment rather than the horror show that it is. There is also a perfunctory metal parasite slowly eating away at the ship, which is treated as an afterthought for most of the episode, before rapidly escalating in the last act into a race against time to save the Enterprise from being destroyed. It's hard to suddenly care about this subplot when it was given zero importance in the first half. Ultimately, Cost of Living doesn't succeed as a drama, comedy, or sci-fi disaster, making it not worth the cost of watching. Number 4, Justice. While on a utopian world inhabited by the Edo race, Wesley accidentally commits a trifling offence and gets sentenced to die. The Edo's customs, costumes and way of speaking immediately invite ridicule. They are barely covered in skimpy white cloth, run to all of their destinations with silly smiles on their faces and play simplistic games like tossing a ball to each other while giggling. None of them seem to have any job or purpose to their life other than frivolous entertainment as they just frolic and make love all day, making them look like simpletons whose joy is superfluous and manufactured. Because their pleasure feels so vacuous, we end up laughing at them throughout. While playing catch with local teens, Wesley mistakenly crashes into some plants in a forbidden flower bed. It turns out that here, every crime, no matter how trivial, automatically receives the death penalty. This leads to a whiplash-inducing shift in tone as we jump to the serious issue of how the crew can save Wesley while still honouring the Prime Directive and Edo laws. It leads to a lot of talky debate, but crucial evidence is lacking as the Edo are unable to make a good case for why the death penalty is necessary, or why it works so well in deterring crime. They say it just does. Picard makes a good point about how justice shouldn't be absolute, but the Edo still refuse to spare Wesley, which leads to a big flaw in the climax in that Picard takes Wesley back to the Enterprise in violation of the Edo constitution. Star Trek The Next Generation is about diplomacy triumphing, but here there is a failure to reach a mutual agreement, so the actions of the crew come off as disrespectful, neutering the intended message and making the Prime Directive seem optional. It's like saying we'll respect your laws only as long as it suits us. This lack of a satisfying resolution results in a lack of justice, making the episode guilty of failure. Number 3. Sub Rosa On a Federation colony modelled after Scotland, Crusher attends her grandmother's funeral where she is drawn into a bizarre relationship with a ghost after she finds out that her ancestral home is being haunted by a phantom named Ronan, called an anaphasic life form but clearly a ghost, who has been debauching the women of the Crusher family for generations and cohabiting their bodies. Sub-Rosa tries to mix in some elements from other genres like horror and mild erotica, but only takes the most cliché and laughable components like eerie noises in a dark abandoned mansion, lightning and thunder jolting the windows, and cheap jump scares where something suddenly appears in the mirror. This makes it nigh impossible to take any of the drama seriously because it all feels so over the top and campy. The performances throughout also fail to jolt any life into the proceedings. Duncan Regeer goes all out with his facial expressions and delivery, which, combined with the soap opera dialogue, effectively rips viewers' souls out. Meanwhile, Paul Gates McFadden is clearly uncomfortable in this role, as she rides and moans, attempting to show horror and pleasure at being seduced by a spirit. Their moments together play like a bad episode of Days of Our Lives, with their attempts at creating sexual tension not even generating enough energy to power a nightlight. As for the rest of the cast, they seem at a loss with how to approach the material, and become trapped in a limbo between going broad or staying subdued. Subrosa does have some so bad it's good moments, like an over the top graveyard finale straight out of a bad B movie horror feature, but overall, it's dead on arrival. Number 2 Code of Honour The Enterprise is attempting to open diplomatic relations with the Lagonians, a patriarchal race that values adherence to honourable customs and who possess a vital vaccine. One of their rituals involves their leader, Lutan, proving his heroism by kidnapping the riskiest target, Lieutenant Yar. Code of Honor moves at a glacial pace as Picard tries to figure out how to get her back without offending the Lagonians. We are fed loads of detail about their culture through exposition without experiencing it for ourselves, making learning about them as interesting as a school lecture, while the feeling out process between Lutan and Picard seems to take forever. It is played as a battle of wills between two smart leaders, but their supposed surprise moves are obvious, making the characters instead look dumb for falling for them. In addition, the guest characters are barely developed. Lutan never grows beyond over-the-top evil villain. His wife Yarina, who hisses her lines in an attempt at feistiness, plays a key role, but we don't see what kind of life she is living under him, making her motives a mystery. There is a bevy of technical shortcomings as well, like the staging of Yar's kidnapping. When lu grabs her, the rest of the crew watch like statues until the two have teleported away, before suddenly moving like mimes, springing to life, making it all look staged. The climactic fight to the death is even more egregious, as we can see the actors anticipating the next moves before they are made, making it look obviously scripted. With such glaring flaws, the most honourable thing to do is to skip Code of Honour. Number 1. Shades of Grey when William Riker gets infected by foreign parasites on an alien planet that looks more like a soundstage, the only method to repel them is to induce him to relive his past experiences with happy memories strengthening the parasites and painful ones weakening them. Basically, it's a clip show. The big issue, though, is the absence of any new revelation about Riker or any character growth that happens from remembering these moments. There is nothing for him to reflect on upon waking up, making it a boring and pointless trudge through memory lane. To make matters worse, most of the scenes are from the most awful episodes so far, torturing us by making us relive such painful events. The framing scenes between flashbacks occur mostly in sick bay, exposing the episode's lack of resources while filling our ears with repetitive dialogue. The conversations between Troy and Dr. Pulaski feel like an endless loop as they regurgitate the same info about how there is no cure for the parasite and that memories are the key to saving Riker. Meanwhile, the cinematography is bland, constantly utilising basic shots from the same angles, and the set looks bare with nothing but a medical bed and some computers revealing that this was all shot cheaply and in a rush. To top it off, there is a droning musical score which feels more suitable for a hypnosis session as it keeps repeating the same three notes. It's apparent that Shades of Grey exists solely to meet the required season episode count and is thus wholly unworthy of being remembered.